You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. So, please open your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 37. Now, um, we're going to cover the entire chapter, and our text today begins my favorite part of Genesis as we're introduced to the story of Joseph. And Joseph actually is going to um, comprise of this last whole section of Genesis all the way until the end. So I'll read beginning in verse 2 and then pray. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheave arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then Joseph dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and, and the and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, Joseph, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture the, their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. And so Joseph said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it's well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found Joseph wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? Joseph said, I'm seeking my brothers. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone away, for I have heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now they saw him from afar, and before he came near to, him, to, to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes that dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal devoured him, and we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. And Reuben was saying this, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into a pit. Now the pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. It's so crazy. Like they strip him of the robe, throw him in this pit, and then they sit down to eat. They're like, we're hungry, let's eat. And looking up, 
they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, here's the businessman of the tribes, what profit is it if we kill our brother and and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they, they drew Joseph up, lifted him up out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Then they took Joseph to Egypt. Now when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father, and they said, Look at this, look at what we found. Please identify it, whether it's your son's robe or not. And Jacob identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal must have devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. So then Jacob tore his garments, put on sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for for his son many, many days. All his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you are mindful of man that you are a God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-merciful. God, you're fully just and, and perfect in every single one of your ways. But you're also a God that's acquainted with, with sorrow and grief and, and pain and much, much heartache, great, tremendous heartache. And Jesus, you were crushed and have walked down the road to the death that we should have died so that we can have eternal life. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show us in your word today, that you would speak to us and teach us that our hopes and our dreams rest completely in you. I also ask Holy Spirit that you would use me now to speak your word for your glory, for your sake. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. So now, the book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. It tells us about the beginnings, the origins of the created earth, and the patriarchs that follow and, and uh, that lead to the bloodline of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And now, when reading through Genesis, we come to these headings that we see at the beginning of each narrative. Now, the Hebrew word for these headings is toledah. Uh, and the Hebrew word means the generations of, the genealogy of, the account of, or the history of. So the Toledots in Genesis are used to indicate a new narrative. And in this heading, we're told that this narrative, that this account, this is the story, this is the history, this is the genealogy, this is the book of Jacob or Israel. And we keep seeing them over and over again in Genesis until this one is the 10th and final one all the way until we get to the New Testament. And this is important. You won't see another Toledot again until you get to the New Testament in the book of Matthew. And Matthew opens up his book like this. 
the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, if, if, Ma- if Matthew was writing in Hebrew, he would have said the Toledot of Jesus Christ. Do you see what Matthew is saying here? What Matthew is saying is that the history of God's people continues into the New Testament and into the New Covenant. And the reason is this, is because every single Old Test, or excuse me, every single New Testament author always brings Israel into the New Testament because Jesus Christ fulfills the Old Testament. So this is the story 1,500 years before Jesus Christ ever stepped on the earth, or 1,500 years or so, of, of, the, of the new covenant being played out into, in the Old Testament. That's why it's here, and that's why it's important. So this book of Jacob continues the history of Israel to the very dawn of the new covenant. And this is the beginning of the climax of Genesis, We see here a very, very dysfunctional family being transformed, and and it begins the account of the beginning of God's people from, from a family and now into a nation. So last week, we saw that Jacob wrestled with God at Peniel. He gets reconciled uh, with his brother Esau. And then from last week until this week, what we've seen is that Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, dies after giving birth to Benjamin. So, so now Jacob has 12 sons. And by the way, Rachel is buried right after that. So, um, and if you guys recall, again, Rachel is Jacob's favorite wife. He loved her more than, than Leah or any of other, the handmaids. And so now Jacob has 12 sons, the tribes of Israel, uh, with Benjamin and Joseph being the youngest, and they're also his favorite. And again, this shouldn't surprise us that, that Benjamin and Joseph are Jacob's favorite because Rachel was his favorite wife. And one of those sons, Joseph, is what concerns us today. So now Joseph, the favorite son of Jacob, carries the story of Israel forward. It sets up the story for deliverance. And I, and I, I mean, I know, well, most of you probably know how this really ends up. Whether you've seen the movie with Charlton Heston or you've seen the Prince of Egypt, it all ends with Israel in Egypt. And so what I want to look at today in our chapter is Joseph's living the dream, the dream killers, and the dream fulfiller. Living the dream, the dream killers, and the dream fulfiller. First, living the, living the dream. Now, um, maybe you guys are familiar with the story of Joseph. If you've uh, grown up a Christian or maybe you were in Sunday school and uh, you heard about this story about Joseph who is 17 years old. He's the favorite son, the firstborn of Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. And because he's dad's favorite, he gets this coat. And um, uh, now, actually, I was studying uh, the, uh, the Hebrew and I actually found the best translation for this coat, this jacket and it's technicolor. Okay, well, actually that's just a tongue-in-cheek musical that maybe some of you may or may not be familiar with, Andrew Lloyd Webber. So it's really not, but I guess that joke didn't land with you guys either. <laughs> so, um, so Joseph has these wild dreams where his brothers and, and his mother and even his father are bowing down to him. I mean, the sun, the, you know, the, the, the she's, it's, it's the, the, the universe. 
And, and I mean, that's pretty crazy, right? So Joseph has these crazy, vivid dreams. And, um, and maybe, well, everybody's had someone, you know, come to them and tell them about a crazy dream that they've had. I mean, just like some really off-the-wall type of thing. Like, hey, um, I had this really crazy dream, and like we were on this missions trip, and we were in Africa, and, uh, and, then, and then I was made king. And then I had this entourage, and these people were following me around, and you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, and then they're like, and then you were in the dream, and you're like, really? And they're like, yeah, you were my butler. And it's like, oh. So, I mean, now, I, I never remember my dreams, but my wife, I mean, she recalls her dreams with, like, vivid recollection. And, and so she starts telling me these things, and I, I'm like, I check out after, like, five seconds. It's just, it's, it's out there. So anyhow, Joseph's dreams are him, and, and he is ruling the world. He's ruling the world because he's so self-centered. And, of course, he dreams like this. I mean, without a doubt, it's because he's got everything. This, Joseph, in this narrative right here, he's like, he's like Richie Rich, okay? I mean, you know, his dad loves him. You know, he's got everything. You can see what he's got. He's got this cool, haughty, couture, like, jacket, and he's flaunting it around, and he's just like, hey, he's like, check it out, man. Like, you serve me, and you serve me, and life is good because the world revolves around me. So he's having these crazy dreams, and, and maybe he believes they're from God. The text doesn't say. And he thinks everyone loves him. And that, so, I mean, naturally, he's feeling really, really good. Now, I think that we can relate to this because um, maybe, maybe you felt like, hey, man, life is good. And you're on top of the world because, you know, you just... You just got that job that you've been looking for. Or maybe it's when you first moved to San Francisco and you're like, wow, a brand new start in the beginning. And, and everything is like, like looking through this magical lens and you're on top of the world. And, you know, you, or you just got your first car or your first apartment. Or um, maybe here in San Francisco you got rid of your first car. Or you just you, you crossed another thing off your, your bucket list that I've seen on Facebook and read all about. You guys have some pretty crazy dreams. But, but anyhow, Joseph is actually more like a daydreamer. He's like, you know, life is good. It's great, isn't it? And when reading through this, I'm like, shut up, Joseph. I'm like, just stop it. Stop being so narcissistic. Like, of course everything's good with you because your dad loves you. You've got this cool jack. You've got all this stuff. You're the favorite. Like, just stop it. And, and it's, more like, it's more like, no, Joseph, no, nobody loves you. Everybody hates you. Everybody hates you. Stop, just stop it. And, and we see that even his dad rebukes him. His dad's like, whoa, Joseph, mijo, calm down, calm down. No more pizza before bed. No more ice cream. No more. Just, just chill, Joseph. Just stop. And... Maybe it wasn't the wisest thing for, for Joseph to come to his brothers and be like, hey, guys, like, guess what? I had this dream, and you guys were bowing to me. I mean, but he's 17 years old. So we've all been there. I mean, we know what it's like. And besides, everyone loves a dreamer, right? I mean, we, we see this in, um, in art, in fashion, in how creative people can be, in design, 
Um, even so in, in Hollywood with these, ama- well, some amazing movies that are being produced. Um, so everybody loves a dreamer, right? Maybe. Maybe everybody loves a dreamer, but what happens when your dreams go wrong? What happens then? What do you do? And, and where does the road lead to for the things that you want? And what if that road is a road that leads to failure. Now, if you guys um, have read the story and are familiar with this, what we start to understand is that these dreams are not from Joseph's subconscious. They're not just from his imagination somewhere, but they're actually from God. And I don't think that, that Joseph knew this at, you know, at first blush. I mean, we just think that he's narcissistic. But what we don't know is that all these things will actually happen. But we just don't know how. And when they do happen, they happen in the most unlikely way, the most unlikely way in the world. It's kind of like Joseph was just sleepwalking through life. Joseph was such a dreamer that he didn't even notice the world around him. He had no clue uh, that, that this hostility was just escalating and building and that his, this, it was just... His half-brothers, it was growing and growing to just murderous hatred. They were going to murder him and kill him. And so the irony of this whole story here is this, is that just like in the life of Joseph, our vision, our dreams, even just calling yourself a Christian can be the very thing that causes hatred in our families it can cause, it could be the very thing that causes hatred in our communities, hatred at work, in our neighborhoods, and even among our friends. But these things weren't conjured up from Joseph's imagination. They were from God. And it's the way that God would actually bring the salvation and preservation of Israel forward. So next, the dream killers. So far in the narrative, everything that Joseph has said and everything that he's received has done nothing except to broaden the chasm that's between him and his brothers. And the brothers absolutely hate him. It's very clear about that. They, I mean, they, the, the text tells us that, that um, they hate him so much they, won't eat, they can't even talk. Why? Look at verse 2 says at the latter half of verse 2, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. A bad report. Now, it shouldn't surprise us um, that Joseph brought a bad report about his brothers because his brothers were involved in some serious mischief. I mean, these guys were, had gotten in a lot of trouble. Um, back in uh, just one chapter back in chapter 35, um, Reuben uh, Jacob's firstborn goes ahead and sleeps with his father's concubine. That's not good. And then uh, his other half-brothers, Simeon and Levi, they go ahead and they slaughter an entire city um, in in enacting revenge for um, their sister, uh, Dinah, being defiled in, in chapter 34. So these guys were rough, they were mean, and they were reckless. Now, one commentator best sums this up, speaking of Joseph, Joseph, and he says this. It's on the the PowerPoint. God's future agent and mouthpiece in in Egypt 
could hardly make a worse impression on his first appearance. Spoiled brat, tailbearer, and braggart. Wow. That's right on. That's right on. But the brothers also hate Joseph because of the preferential treatment. Look at verse 3. It says that uh, Joseph made him a, a robe of many colors. Now, Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. And, um, and you, you guys have gotten this. If you guys have been uh, studying with us along in Genesis, we see that the firstborn uh, gets, the pri- gets the right. It carries on the namesake. They also get additional privileges. But as we see in Genesis, it's not always, it don't, doesn't always guarantee that the firstborn is going to carry that on. And we've seen that with Jacob, and we've seen that with the, with the others um, before him. So um, now, so uh, Reuben was the firstborn, had the birthright, but then he lost it. And it's not explained in the text here uh, in Genesis chapter 37, but it is explained in 1 Chronicles 5 uh, verse 1. It says that the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. So the birthright has shifted from Reuben to Joseph. And Joseph has, has been elevated to a place over his brothers, uh, and, and his brothers absolutely hate that. Furthermore, Joseph uh, had his father's favor and authority in that coat that he had given him. Now, um, by the way, we only see in, in, in uh, that word for coat is only used one other time in the Bible. And it's, and it's used uh, that, that is a uh, type of royal garment, so it's a royal garment, and royal, along with royalty, that also means authority. And so the brothers absolutely cannot stand this. They become jealous of him. They see the authority that, that, that is over them in that coat, and in their envy, they're absolutely blinded. And then there are these dreams, these crazy dreams. Joseph was this dreamer, and he was just alienating himself from his brothers, and they're mad at Joseph because he has these pretentious dreams. But the fact that Joseph thought his brothers would be excited about these dreams gives us our first clue that actually Joseph was pretty clueless about what was going on. And they absolutely despised him. They resented it that he should just come proudly and just come to them and be like, and, and, and somehow say that God has chosen me to rule over you guys. And, and that's what just made the brothers come undone. Now, when, when, when we compare ourselves with other people and we take our eyes off of God and we're not looking at what he's doing, you, you lose perspective of what's going on because you've taken your eyes off of God and you're looking to others. And when you lose perspective, it's hard to see the truth. And we see that here. This is what's happened with Jacob's half-brothers. They lose perspective because they get just mirrored in this jealousy, and they want to kill the dreamer. So, of course, the day comes that they could actually enact this revenge and take out this plot to take out and kill their brother, the dreamer. Jacob sends Joseph, and, and it's, I, I wonder, like I'm reading it, I'm like, wait, doesn't Jacob know that his brothers won't even speak to him? 
I mean, is he just completely blind? And then he goes ahead and sends him off. He's like, hey, son, my favorite son, I'm going to send you off into this place. By the way, where they were going to pasture the flocks is where Shechem, where Levi and Simeon had enacted revenge back in chapter 34, if you want, can go back and read that. I mean, it's crazy. It's almost like he's setting them up for failure. And so, I mean, picture this, that he sends Joseph to see if it's well with his brothers. And, and like, so here's the brothers. They're tending the flock. They're doing their thing. And then over the horizon, here comes Joseph. And Joseph's got this coat. I mean, he's, he's easy to pick off. He's like a target. And they're like, and this is what they say. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. So the brothers agree to kill Joseph. And again, we see here the danger of losing perspective and losing sight of things. But God's perspective is is so much bigger than ours. And again, I mean, we know God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And when we allow ourselves to focus on what's human, we lose sight of God's perspective, and that's what the brothers have done. So what do you do when, you're, when the dream that you're living is absolutely squashed? I mean, just smashed, crushed. Everything just comes undone. What do you do? Now, and, and this can happen in our lives in a variety of ways. It can come in the form of a spiritual attack. It can come if you're trying to have kids. What if you can't have kids? What if you lose your health? What if you lose your job? I mean, you know, it could be any one of these things. So, so th- these dream killers come at us spiritually. Um, they manifest themselves physically. And so now back into the text, Reuben actually tries to save Joseph, but his attempt is only, it's only kind of like half lived out. I mean, and again, all these questions arise as we go through this text. Where was Reuben when these Midianites came and the brothers agreed to sell Joseph? And, and there's this interesting play that's going on, like with, the, with this um, uh, trying, remember, if you remember that Esau had, um, uh, Jacob stole the birthright from Esau. He, was, he deceived him out of that. He sold it for just a bowl of soup. And, and now I think that Reuben is like, Reuben's like, hey, guys, let's not kill him. And the text says so that he could take him back to his father. Now, maybe, maybe Reuben knew about this, knew about what Jacob had done. And he was thinking to himself, this is how I get my birthright back. This is how I get my birthright back. And, and Joseph, I'll take you back to dad. But it's going to, you know, it's going to cost you. I'm going to save your life, but it's going to cost you the birthright. Maybe but you can read, go back and read, read that for yourselves. So they keep uh, Joseph's coat. They slaughter a goat. They dip it in blood. And then they, they, their thought is like, we'll just go back to dad. And, um, and after all, he's the one that sent him out. He's the one that, that sent him here to check on us. And the brothers think that that's the end of that. But they have no idea what's actually happening. They're utterly oblivious to God's invisible hand just working everything out in their action. They don't know that the very effort to destroy the dreamer is actually fulfilling Joseph's dreams and moves this story forward. 
See, you, you see what God does? God takes the very sins of the destroyer and makes them the means of the destroyer's deliverance. That's amazing. That's the providence of God. So they go back to Jacob and they bring him this coat, and, um, but they don't say like, dad, dad, we found J- uh, Joseph's coat. Look, th- no, they, they come and they approach him and they're like, can you identify this coat here? I mean, it, it's almost like they're like, um, gee, hey, dad, look at this coat that we found out here and there's blood on it. I wonder what happened. And then, of course, his dad's like, that's Joseph's coat. Like, and wild beasts must have devoured him. And then the brothers are like, he said it. I didn't say it. That's what he said. He came to his own conclusion. Our hands are clean. We didn't kill him. We didn't shed any blood. We just threw him in the pit, had a good meal afterwards, wanted to let him starve to death. But we didn't shed any blood. So in their minds, that's what they're thinking. And, and again, it's so, I mean, we, do, we lose perspective. Anytime that we take our eyes off of God, we lose perspective. And, and we just, we have to avoid that. Because Joseph's brothers are looking at each other rather than looking at God. So literally, Joseph's brothers are the dream killers. And this, this is our heritage, the tribes of Israel. Not the prettiest picture, definitely not the best, but it's continuously being redeemed, and we see this over and over again in the Bible. Because the reality is, the thrust of the book sets up the origins of Israel's story and looks forward to what's going to happen in the New Testament through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. So lastly, the dream fulfiller. Um, A few weeks ago, Pastor Dave in Genesis 29 taught um, uh, and, and pointed out that when Jacob found Rachel at the well, that what's intended for the reader to see here is that, and, and, and we have to get this, we have to get this, that God, God's providence is working. His invisible hand is actually working here. And because, again, Jacob saw in his circumstances that it had to be God. You remember, he goes to the well, he rolls over, uh, uh, the stone away, and, uh, you know, he sees Rachel, he's just in love, he goes, he kisses her, he rips his, his, his uh, shirt, and he just cries out, he's like, ah! Because he's like, oh my God, he's like, God, you said you would be with me, and you are, and I see it now. Even after all of my deception, all of my, uh, the, the heartache, the lies, all of that scheming, God, you are with me, this is and, and so he, it's unmistakable, it's God's providence. So in Jacob's life, we see that God is working behind the scenes. But does God work when your life is thrown into the pit and into the well? Jacob rolls a, away a stone from a well, and Joseph gets thrown into a well. And, well, and now, by the way, this well, it's actually, um, it's, they say pit, a well. It's actually a cistern um, that was carved out, used to collect rainwater, but you couldn't get out of it. Once you went in, the, the sides were sloped, and so there was no way out. So what do you do? What do you do when that happens? Is God still at work? And we have to get this deep down into our soul. 
Because when we don't see the apparent hand of God working in our lives, that doesn't mean that God still isn't at work. And, and once again, just like in Genesis chapter 29, there's no mention of God in that story. And there's no mention of God in Genesis chapter 37 either. So God, but, but yet God is not absent. He's just working behind the scenes. Now, I read this quote from A.W. Tozer that um, absolutely, it just made me feel really, really, really uncomfortable. It disturbed me, actually. And it says this. It's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Wow. Ouch. Now, that's not scripture, but, but we do see this over and over again as we unfold the pages, as the narratives keep on continuing going through the Bible over and over again, that's the reality. We see people who were brought down low before they were elevated. We see Joseph's role, uh, we see Joseph in, in his role, he's able to understand what it means to be powerless in order to wield great wisdom, in order to wield great power. He's made powerless first. Because when Joseph landed at the bottom of that pit, the only, where, the only place that he had to look was up. And this was probably the first time in Joseph's, well, 17 whole years that he couldn't get out of a situation. He couldn't do it. He was powerless. The only place that he had to look was up. He couldn't escape. He couldn't free himself. And later, as we'll see, I mean, he, he, you know, the, he ends his chapter as a slave in Egypt. He can't free himself from that. Joseph had learned his limits. He learned that he had nowhere to look but up. And I, I find it um, really interesting that the beginning of this chapter opens up with Joseph and these dreams, and, and he's like, hey, everyone's going to bow to me, and I'm going to be in a position of authority. And, and, and so he thinks that, that that's what's going to happen. But at the end of the chapter, we see Joseph as a slave. And when you're a slave, you bow to everyone. He thinks that everyone important is going to bow to him and that he's going to be put in this place of like absolute authority. But the reality is at the end of the chapter, he's in a place of just zero authority, none. Joseph's life is no longer his own. And again, we see this in the Bible over and over again. Look at the disciples. The disciples, they follow Jesus for years, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is gone. And they're like, uh-oh, like, problem there. We see Peter denies Christ uh, to the point where he's weeping bitter tears. This is Peter. I mean, he, you know, he, Peter goes ahead, follows him, confesses that he is the Christ. And in his very last act, he denies Christ three times. That's brokenness. I mean, that's real brokenness. We see it that God takes people to a place of just, just baseness. He just flattens them. So when you have power, you have authority, you, and you have wisdom, you understand what it means to be absolutely powerless. And so you understand mercy, and you understand justice and reliance on God, and you understand what it means to have nothing but promise. Now listen up here, please, to this, because this is really, really important. The point of all of this is not so that God 
can fulfill your dreams, but rather it's so that God can fulfill his dreams through your life. Do you get that? It's not so that, so that your dreams can be fulfilled, but that God can fulfill his dreams through your life. Even if that means that you suffer, that you suffer loss, heartache, destruction, and, and through heartache and suffering is what we're going to see unfold in Jacob's story here. And, I mean, and how do we try and, I mean, everything that we do is we try to alleviate suffering in our lives. How? Um, by every time we go to the doctor. I, I need a pill for this. I'm depressed. I'm, um, I need to lose weight. I'm losing my hair. I'm, I, in the clothes that I buy, it's the relationship. It's, it's the car. All of these things we're trying to do, to, that's how we alleviate suffering. That's how we do it, and we do it all the time. The right pills, the right bed, the right clothes. Now, C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain has this amazing quote, and it's up on the screen again. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He, God, is going to fulfill his purpose in your life because God is faithful to finish the work that he started. We're reminded of this in Philippians chapter one. I am sure of this, Paul speaking, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so that's what Joseph has here. Joseph has this promise that's in a dream. And we believe that God looks after us and that he's, um, he's with us. And we believe that no uh, weapon that's formed against us is going to prosper. But, and, and again, friends, listen, some of your dreams, because I know, I mean, Joseph was 17, maybe you're 25 or 35, and, and you have dreams. And you're like thinking, well, I don't know if these are from God or not. And so knowing kind of a little bit about what's going on and, and you, wanna, you don't want to be like Joseph and be narcissistic and think that the whole world revolves around you. And so you're like, you know what? I'm just going to give up my dream. Don't do that. Okay? But also know this, is that some dreams that you have, I mean, maybe some of your dreams are from God and that they just haven't been fulfilled yet. So don't give up. I mean, yes, surrender them, kind of like Abraham did with Isaac, but don't give up. But also know this. On the other hand, not all of your dreams are from God. Some of them aren't. And God has a way of fulfilling them for the ones that are in a, in a way that you could po- probably never imagine, just like Joseph. So when we look at Joseph's story in whole, we see the likeness of Christ. We see a favored son who's in a position of authority. We see that that he's been sent to the people underneath him. He's been sent as an ambassador and as a representative of the father. He's betrayed, given up for dead, and he's sold into slavery and he goes through suffering. And yet through that suffering, through that suffering, he becomes the savior of Israel right when there's famine later. 
Because if you guys would, will know that Israel would have died if it hadn't have been for Joseph getting down to Egypt. And this is really amazing. Again, God's providence working, bringing, this is how Israel gets into Egypt for 400 years. It was prophesied back in Genesis 12 that, that after 400 years you'd be sojourners in a land. And this sets up a whole other story. So there are a lot of parallels here. And so when we live into the story of Christ when, when each one of us dies daily, when each one of us is resurrected daily, each one of us is dependent on God for who we are, for what we're doing, and where we're going. We all live in the lineage of Christ, and when, when we live in the lineage of Christ, suffering is going to be a part of that. Now, I, I, mean, I know that that's a, a hard truth, but it's the truth. We are going to suffer. You are going to suffer. But also know this. There's also promise in that. There's promise in that. There's blessing in that as well. Promise is a part of that. And I, and I know, again, that we've all been promised this, you know, eternal life, life to the fullest, and everything else. But no matter what it is, what we do, no matter what our current conditions are, we, we have to live in hope. And we can live in hope because when we suffer, there's hope in Jesus the unseen hand of God as it points forward to Jesus and shows that he's the one who's fulfilled our salvation. The one who's gone through everything that, that you've been through, I've been through, past, present, and future. Our only hope is to cling to Christ. That's what brings us clarity and that's what even brings us dreams. Staying close to Christ. The outcome of this chapter is that we can put our hope in him as we stay close to Christ, we're given hope, we're given dreams. But to be a part of that promise, to understand, to look, at, to look in the face of suffering and pain so that when you leave here tonight and you go back home into your community and you go and walk down in, in, in this amazing city that we live in and you identify, you're like, that's brokenness, that's pain, that's suffering. But then you have hope and you're like, but Jesus, Jesus can heal that. He doesn't throw it away. He redeems it, he restores it, and uses it for his glory. Now that's wisdom. That's what Joseph has done. But no one attains that just overnight. It has to be learned in the difficult, difficult school of humility. And it's in that where we see the teachings and the wise sayings of, of, of the wise men that, that, that say that humility comes before honor. And so also the, the, the other end of that, another saying that is true is that pride always goes before the fall. So live in hope and believe even when you're suffering in circumstance. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word is powerful, Lord. And I thank you that it is like no other because, God, you are like no other. It speaks to us just in amazing ways. And, Father, I know that some of us are suffering here today, Lord, suffering in some of the most difficult circumstances in their life. 
some today whose dreams have been just smashed, Lord, that their life is coming undone. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would comfort them, that just as you say, God, that you are near the brokenhearted and those who are weeping and mourning, Lord, I believe that you, you are there where there are tears shed, Lord. You, you know about that. I pray that you would comfort them, Lord. I pray that, Jesus, that just as you say that there is freedom, Lord, in your name, Lord, I pray that you would free us today. We, we need your freedom, Lord, the freedom of Christ. You're the author of dreams. And, you, and God, you said that you reveal your dreams to your friends because you call us friends of God. So we rejoice today in that and ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would minister to our hearts now for your glory in Jesus' name, amen.